No, we do. Oh, not. here's Ron. Here's Ron now. All right, here we go. This is gonna be a good one. There is Ron now. Here's Ron. And Ron is here. Nice to see you guys. Yay! <laughs> good to see you too. I was just listening to a couple of podcasts, and I, I was uh, you were talking. One guy you mentioned Butcher and B. I thought I'd wear my Butcher and B T-shirt today. Bravo! My favorite restaurants in Nashville. Wow! They have, there um, you go. Yeah, they have really made such a play down here. And you know the 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 oh. group the group behind that Ron actually came from Mellow Mushroom. That was their first that was their first set of restaurants. I don't know if you guys have Mellow Mushroom where you're from, but I don't but think it's in a, California. Oh, gotcha. I don't think they're in California. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're kind of a east of the Mississippi, but it's very very popular. Uh, kind of a not a stoner, but it's it's kind of a, it makes a play on the ingestion of of cannabinoids to enjoy the pizza <laughs> so the even, even the two mascots are dude this one mushroom is named dude and the other mushroom is named bud <laughs> that's no cool. play on words there that's called there. branding ron it is such a pleasure to meet you I know that we had a number of uh, communications back and forth, and I appreciate your candor and honesty about the depth at which your your niche or your niche with the functional foods. And I appreciate so much the chance to to talk with you. You know, we're not a fancy podcast. We are just a couple of food guys that love talking about food and stuff that goes along with food, which is, as you know, obviously you know that the yeah. tech side of the food world is just busting nuts right now it's interesting i was I, that's one of the reasons i want to talk is just see how what you felt about that what we were seeing because i'm sure the perception is really different i mean i'm just surrounded by tech only people i think it's a, it's a little bit of a bubble over here you know i don't think people are really connecting enough with food it's it's actually one of the problems with the entrepreneurial well venture capital backed entrepreneurial side right now and they're just starting to learn that like hey there's a big world out there and there's a lot of really uh there's a lot of important relationships they need to sort of start getting, you know? Uh, so it's a real pleasure to sort of talk to you guys about it. Uh, okay. And then I'm going to introduce, and Ron, help me pronounce your last name properly. Well, Shigeta is how I pronounce it. Shigeta, Shigeta. I am, uh, I am well-versed in butchering last names because I got like the simplest <laughs> And he's huh. got the simplest name, Harrison and Smith. It should be, Doug, that should be our brand, man. Smith that could be a Harrison. restaurant. I like it, Smith exactly. and Harrison. <laughs> we don't have stakes. Maybe, Ron, you could be one of our first investors and we'll make a gazillion dollars. I like it. There you go. That's great. Awesome. Ron, well, we're not going to be curveballs or anything like that. No, so no, no, no. We're not, the, we're not those I'm guys. Interested, I'm interested in getting some, getting your real opinion on some things because I sure. think, like I said, like the food industry is pretty far away from our world and I'm one of the reasons I'm so delighted to talk to you guys is because, you know, I just don't think there's enough conversations like this, you know, Mm -hmm. so I really want to hear what you think. Cool. We're looking forward to it. Ron Shigeta. Got it. All right, Doug, you good? All right, here we go. Hey, Doug Smith, what's shaking up in the PD today? How's Florence treating you? Oh, it's beautiful over here, Tom. How's everything in the beautiful Charleston, South Carolina? That's good. It's good. We're in the 80s, and uh, I just was out riding around wishing I had a car that had a convertible top on it. Not that I'm jealous or anything like that. Well, you know, I did put the top down today, a little cold okay. ice water, top down, my little driving cap. You know, it's pretty cool. Day's day to do it. Yeah. You're a fan to it. You're a fan to it. So, well, Doug, we have a great opportunity. Let me introduce you to a new friend of ours, Ron Shigetta. Ron, please meet Doug Smith also known as Doug, the food guy. All right. Hi, Doug. Hey, Ryan. How you doing, man? Yeah, great to meet you guys. It's, it's, it's good vibes here. I've been hearing a lot about you, Tom, and I've been talking about you a lot here lately, so I'm finally glad to put a name and a face together. Oh, it's going to be great. Great talk here today. Love chatting. It is good. Ron, what part of the world are you in now? I live in Berkeley, California. Oh, wow. The left Berkeley. coast, as we like to say. As I like to say, when I live back east, it is. We just call it the other coast <laughs> because we live on the coast. But Doug and I both live on the yeah. coast on our coast, so it's it is a it is a good thing. So, so Ron, it's such a pleasure to meet you. One thing I would love to do to have a quick start here is to maybe give us a episode number one or an origin story of Ron Shigeta. Tell us who you are. 
Uh, well, I, I that's a good question. I think I'll just start professionally. I don't know. I I spent so much time in academia, kind of like it's kind of like bent my brain. I I got a PhD in biochemistry back east in New Jersey, and uh, I didn't know what to do when I finished my my training. So I decided to move out to California, where there's a lot of entrepreneurialism going on, and uh, moved to the Bay Area here. And about 12 years later, after working uh, uh, working as a scientist, uh, I just started to get really interested in getting more active in entrepreneurialism for biotech. And uh, that ended up sort of like overlapping with food a lot. I became an investor and I've uh, been working with food technology uh, so for about, I don't know, six or seven years now, since 2015, 2016, something like that. Well, Ron, I tell you, you say biochemistry and you say food industry all in the same sentence. And I mm. first thought that comes to my mind is how does that go together? What are you doing in the world of food that brings chemistry into it? Well, first of all, you know, well, first of all, I was investing in companies that had new ideas on how to improve food and sort of, and sort of bring food into a better place nutritionally. And we did a lot of investments in them. They're really popular. Some of them were pretty notorious or well-known. Uh, one of them is a company that's called uh, Upside Foods. That's the world's first lab-grown meat company, or like say cultivated meat company. That's that's right near my house here in Emeryville, California. Uh, uh, you know, and another example would be Every Foods. They make egg whites without any chickens. Uh, they just manufacture the proteins that are in the egg whites and make the egg whites happen. And then there's a lot of uh, plant-based food companies that uh, try to make foods that are similar to uh, usually animal-based foods, but other kinds of foods with only plant ingredients, uh, like, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, alternative protein hamburger and chicken, but also like yogurt and dairy products as well. So there's a company called The Knot Company that, that we helped invest in back in the day, and um, another company called New Wave Foods that does, was the first seafood-based, plant-based food company. Um, so actually the list gets, goes on after that, but that's that's the kind of examples of the kind of stuff that I've been working with. I've been enjoying so much. Believe it or not, I've heard several of these uh, manufacturer names or processor names. And New Wave is one of the ones that just came to mind just recently. I think they were at the Boston Seafood Show or something like that. Uh, and really? I understand that the, the food. I heard they knocked it out of the park, Doug. That's what I think you say. I, I had a couple people come back and say, you're not going to believe it. It's really good. And I'm like, wow, you know, never would have thought, you know, a plant-based or alternate uh, way of producing tuna. I think it was a tuna item that they were they were showcasing, which is pretty cool. That's fabulous. You know, that just started out with two a uh, couple of young ladies who really, really were interested in in sort of seafood conservation. What's happening with seafood? And they came in uh, into our lab, and it's also sort of a kitchen. They use the kitchen side and. And they they got the first shrimp within four months, and we we took it to a nearby mall, and just asked people to try it. They could not tell it wasn't shrimp, so that was just a real exciting moment for me. You know, we're all in the food industry around here, and mm. uh, you know, when you start first, long start hearing about plant based proteins, the the mind, the one that comes to my mind is the Impossible Burger. When all that started really getting really popular, I was that guy that was like, man why would you buy an impossible burger when, you know, you can get ground beef for half the price. It, it, at the time it tasted as good, if not better than, you know, the imitation version. But, but then I got to talking to some people that not necessarily were food scientists, but were in food like myself and consulting. And hmm. what they were telling me is as we continue to grow our population and we continue to have issues with our supply chains, there's going to come a time and a place where we just can't feed ourselves anymore. And we're going to have to come up with better ways of getting food on the table. And that's really kind of the, the core of this. Not, since I've got you here, Ron, it, yeah. tell me your thoughts on that. Am I on the right track? Well, I think that's, that's definitely one of the things they say. And I just, uh, I think there's also this sort of healthiness sort of thing that, you know, you cut out the cholesterol, you cut out some of the, the, the saturated fats you find in, in animal products, and, and you know we we're not super healthy country, and uh, and so there's some advantages of that. I think what I'd like people to do is think about milk in the '90s. You know, at the time, people could not imagine drinking soy milk. 
you know, it just sounded too bizarre and strange and doesn't really taste exactly like milk. But now, you know, it's, I think it's 25% of the market of, of the milk dairy market slash dairy market now is plant-based alternatives. And I think this is going to take some time. Uh, but I think that there's a lifestyle for some of these meats, but meat's going to continue to exist out there. It's going to be continue to be for people to eat it. Uh, but Another thing is that the quality and the price of meat, that's also going to fluctuate in a different way. And so, you know, these alternatives might be better in a lot of other ways too, you know, especially with supply chain couple, like when we get started and we were working with the every company and they were selling these, egg, they were trying to make egg whites uh, in our offices and they actually got some meringues, which are pretty cool. Uh, that that was the year that uh, an, the avian flu hit the United States. And there was about a month where you could not buy a carton of egg whites in California because the just supply was gone. And so you know, that's the kind of supply chain issues that we're talking about uh, that we probably will continue to see. You know, get things like the Ukrainian war, and then some some supplies get gummed up somewhere, and the ships are loaded off off the you know they're they're sitting off the the coast there. They can't come in. There's too many in the port. You just don't know what's going to happen. So we have alternate ways to sort of produce some of the food and get it to us. It should also sort of like be more convenient in a lot of ways for Americans. Ron, I know recently that we have begun to hear new terms. And, and we had a, a conversation a few minutes ago before we started recording about some of the things that we're seeing. And I have heard a buzzword called functional foods, which has come up a lot. It's starting to really come to the East Coast. You guys mm -hmm. know it starts in California. I mean, it always, everything starts in California, comes this way. The only thing that really starts here and goes that way is barbecue. You got me so it's going, going <laughs> that way with the, with the tri-tip. I, I like me some ramps sometimes. Uh, I'd love to come out and try some some fresh ones. Well, um, I'll tell you that uh, when when you do come out to the Carolinas, we we have a, a mutual friend of ours that has a, a forty acres of property up in North Carolina in the prime area where ramps are grown. So we're actually, right now it's uh, April. Yeah, so right about now that the last week of March to the first week of May is really the only time you can find ramps. So so we'll be sure to uh, if you get out here during that time, we'll make sure to get some uh, that are that are honestly gathered. I got to put that on my calendar. I think, what was the question again? You <laughs> kid, yeah, I, I don't remember. We're oh, talking oh, about food. Know, there you go. It was uh, functional foods. Meaning, functional foods. I, I know, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's happening is that is that consumers are getting more and more interested in their health and how food really connects with the health. And uh, being a scientist, we are learning so much about how our digestive tracts they're not just sort of like passively scooping food into our bloodstream. You know, they've got, we've got all these, we've got, I don't know, 10 to the 10th, 10 to the 13th. Like we, there's more bacterial and fungal cells in our body than there are human cells. And they sit, most of them sit in our gut and they, they taste the food, they digest, they actually sort of emit signals of satisfaction into our gut. And those signals can travel through our blood into our brain affect our health and communicate about what we're eating to the rest of our body before we actually, it actually hits our system. And so there's, it's really true that we're sort of hitting the cusp of this great awakening about some of these very deep things about nutrition that 20th century science had no idea was going on. And functional foods are sort of a symptom of that. Some of them are kind of more like vitamins or supplements. Some of them are, uh, some of them are actually functionally changing the way we digest, like probiotics is a good example of that, right? But I, I think people want to sort of, uh, uh, you know, even though supplements like bee pollen uh, and antioxidants like acai, they don't really have a, don't seem to have a long-term effect on our health. I think short-term effects and just generally well-being is what people are paying for. And, and uh, as, as, the technology moves on, we are going to see more and more of those are actually doing things. So like there's a company out here that was making a, a pill that had probiotics that made this enzyme that, that basically neutralized alcohol. So if you had a, or actually the aldehydes that cause a hangover. So if you have a, if you take this probiotic before you go out on a, on a, on a binge, like you can actually like not have a headache the next day. And it really works. Uh, that's not necessarily the best way you want to, that's not necessarily <laughs> a recommendation. But you know, I mean, we're starting to like hit our lifestyle, and and they're actually they're actually working. They're actually doing things that we actually can see and feel right there. And it's that's the little things thing. in life like that that 
change the projection of where you're going, right? Monday mornings are better all over the world. That will change the, the, change the lives of 20-year-olds for millenniums to come. You know, you just don't ever think about it, but there's a whole list of people who would love to have that on Monday morning. <laughs> there are. You know, and there's food allergies and stuff. I mean, people are starting to realize that some food's just not good for you. Don't, most of us don't track what they are. Um, but, you know, we should be able to sort of like understand how to customize diet and all these kind of things. And no. they're also discovering, but they're also discovering, I mean, the you know, functional foods, uh, I mean, I, there's even a functional beer out here that was that was popular for a while called Sufferfest. And they had all these different lifestyle things. And then there was, bee pollen was one of them. They've got all these, you know, mushrooms and things like that. And like cordyceps and lion's mane, you know. All of these have neural brighteners and things. And they actually, you know, they'll perk you up like a cup of coffee, but it won't keep you awake. So there's, uh, you know, it, it is popular. Two things that I bring to the conversation because you said that. I, I never get to talk about it. So I am fired up to tell you. Mm. When there was a period of time that my uh, that we lived in Florida and, the, uh, and it was in the late 60s, early 70s. And being in Florida as a, as a young person, I was enamored with the astronaut program. And my mom, who, you know, I guess forward thinking, bought me just about every type of space food that you could buy at the store. And I remember thinking when I was peeling the thing back for, of the, of the, the cryovac little meat, crazy meat protein stick, I used to remember how awesome I felt that I was actually eating something that was just like the astronauts. I remember the space sticks. I used to eat those a lot. I they were, like... they were, they were super fun. Now I, we never really did the Tang thing, even though that was obviously, you know, obviously a, a big one there. This the secondary part of this is I know that uh, we felt it, gr growing up again. It's it's a reference for us for conversation that I, I remember the first time of ever doing anything that I, we ate that my family put on the table as healthy other than you know the the closest we get to to the food was a product called surimi we I, when i was probably 10 11 12 years old and i think that it's it's really just kind of a a, a crabby kind of tapioca kind of a i don't know exactly how to describe it but i remember thinking even as a young man this is some sort of strange space crazy space food so there's a lot of people in our generation that if we were to make a connection between what we're eating as a functional food or or even not even like the definition before, but even as a food that it had that the sum of the parts are actually greater than the parts individually as far as our, as our um, you know, as far as our diet goes. There's definitely something to that. I, you know, I think that we need to I think what's really going to be interesting in the next like few decades is where we actually start to take all these complicated, beautiful foods apart and understand the different parts of them and what they do in a way that we just, just wasn't possible 20 years ago. You know, if you look, like, for instance, you look at vanilla and you actually try to separate all the different, you can, if you're a chemist, you can separate all the different little compounds in vanilla. There are hundreds of them, you know, and you, 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 uh, you taste like an ice cream sandwich uh, like for a, a dollar from the freezer at the convenience store, you know, it's just got one component of that vanilla, but you know, you get, you get an artisanal vanilla from Madagascar and you just open up and take it with guys, you know, you know, the difference, oh, it's just like a big difference, yeah. right. And, you know, I think that, I think, uh, I think the problem with vanilla, for instance, is that, you know, well, well, the problem with vanilla in general is this is, it's one of the most delicious foods that you can possibly have. But it's it's actually a bean picked from an orchid that you had to sort of like pollinate by hand. And it's only available for pollination like one day out of the year. And so they've got these people walking around, you know, like you know, like pollinating these vanilla beans, and then they pack them up and they extract all this stuff. And so for most people, they don't actually get to taste real vanilla, right? So if we understand all these other things, you know, in there there's an idea that in the future food that we can actually make really high quality vanilla maybe at the same at the same price as as this artificial vanilla right because it's still artificial we get the compounds some other way you might make some microorganism make them or something in an affordable way but then more people can have this really amazing experience so i think one of the great things that i look forward to with some of the technology is sort of delivering more 
more delightful, more complete foods rather than in, in, at economical prices, rather than trying to, I mean, it's great if you can afford Madagascar vanilla with every, on every bowl of ice cream you got. It's not super cheap. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think the idea is that, you know, for me, what's really great about being involved with food is you can think about everybody eating, you know, and all 8 billion people are involved, hooked up the food system every day. Can we make all, can we make these rare and expensive experiences available to everybody through this kind of technology? I think the 20th century has been a real bummer for food. The last 50 years, every innovation has, has sort of like tended to sort of cheapen the food, make it cheaper, but also not as, not as, not as pleasant or maybe perceived not to be as healthy. But, you know, I think technology has the ability to deliver quality as well, and maybe even unique experiences that nobody can get access to. Uh, for a price that people can afford, because technology ultimately de democratizes things, you know. So I mean, I think that I think the next century will have a very different attitude about how our technology and our food interact. Well, you mentioned something that was been a big concern to myself is the quality. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I've always been that person that not only do I like to promote and share quality, I love to educate on why this one's better than that one, and that's always been a fear of mine when you start doing like you mentioned the uh bringing the chemicals in makes it cheaper and you know that cheaper isn't always better uh it needs to be healthy it needs to be good for you it needs to have flavor it needs to bring texture there's all these things that you want it to be and usually the word cheap is way down the list <laughs> but unfortunately <laughs> sometimes that gets put into front when you start coming up with the process of why you're doing it well, Doug, I'm actually, you know, I'm actually writing a book about this because it's such a big deal. I mean, when I started into this, I'd really, I've only been in the food industry eight years, which is like nothing really because of all this. But I started to see that like what happened was in the 20th century and late 19th century, like 1870 to 1960 or 70, up to that point, technology was the only thing making food better, you know, but we're talking about things like refrigeration, transportation manufacturing, right? But also things like enzymes that you could treat wheat with and things, and flour and so forth. All of these things created all these amazing foods that lasted a long time that everybody could eat. Um, you know, shipping frozen meat over long periods of time. I mean, let's, you know, beginning of the 20th century, nobody had a refrigerator. You bought a milk, you had to have the milkman bring the milk every day. Uh, the technology of refrigeration that all these things changed our lives and created a food system where everybody can eat. And it's really phenomenally amazing. Um, and I, But I ha what happened in the last half of the 20th century is that we stopped having all these great discoveries and everything, you know, when you, when you sort of push the same technology button over and over again, you get back a little less every time you press it, you know? And, so, and so I think in the last, what's happened is for us in the last 30 years, there just hasn't really been anything that could deliver High, higher quality for lower price. But if we really, really ask technology for that, that is possible and it, it's happened in the past. And I think what my hope is that over the next 10, 15 years, what we'll see is people's expectations, especially young people, their, their expectations will be that, oh, technology is great for food because it, because it really delivers something that I want. Nobody really wanted GMO soy. Uh, <laughs> you, you put some so these soybeans on your plate and you go like, oh, this has really lowered the supply chain costs, which it did, which we actually enjoy, but it doesn't taste good. <laughs> right. So, that's you know, exactly so, my point. You know, just making no, it cheaper for the sake of making it cheaper isn't necessarily the right, right choice. That's right. And we do benefit from that in some ways, but it's not, it's, it's not, that's not a product for the modern American consumer who has very high expectations from food because we get so many beautiful foods from around the world, so much diversity, almost anything you ask for, you just go to the store and just pick it up. Um, you know, it's hard to top that. <laughs> so, so true. I think, I, I think in the next, I think this next generation of technology has the ability to deliver that. Uh, I want to talk about one of the companies I work with, for instance, like, because like, just to give you a different picture, you know, it's not, uh, not, not selling anything, but you know, like we all know that chocolate is, the birthright of every child in the world, right? Go to the store and, 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 you know, save up a few quarters and buy a chocolate bar. Um, but we also know that, you know, climate change is changing the environment and less 
quality cocoa is being grown every year. And so they're trying to cultivate more and more land within that region where cocoa can make. But at the same time, like you said before, the, the demand for quality food is gonna go up a lot, right? And the demand for food overall is doubling, right? And so the demand for things like chocolate is gonna more than double while the supply shrinks. That means some kids are not gonna get chocolate, which is just not something, it's, it's kind of like all of the rules are breaking there. And so like there's a, there's, a, there's a couple of, there's a brother and sister in Germany that I'm working with. They're one of the, these new chocolate companies. And what they did is they found a process that can find interesting molecules in oats. And by fermentation, natural fermentation process, actually that's how chocolate tastes as well. They put the cocoa beans out there and they basically let them ferment uh, with bacteria and fungus out there in the jungle. And then they bring it in and they, they make chocolate out of it. They basically do that in a controlled, very German way in, in Germany. And they get this amazing chocolate out of there. Uh, and there's no cocoa in it at all. And uh, the, I, I went to their rollout and they had nine, nine chocolates to taste, each of them designed to taste like a different favorite chocolate bar, like Snickers and, and this kind of thing and Hershey bars. It was amazing. It was really amazing. There's no compromise there at all. Um, and uh, so as we see more and more of those cases, I think that we're gonna, we're gonna feel really, really good about the food that's coming out. Um, it, it hopefully it'll be less and less a source of anxiety for people, I hope. One of the categories that I do work in is in the K-12 non-commercial side for kids' meals, K-12 through meaning kids' meals. And of late, there's been two additional uh, allergens that have been added to the list. One, the major one being sesame seeds. That has been added so that it's being taken out of all school lunches, it's being taken out as a flavoring from the sesame oil. Obviously, we know at a molecular level, that is not the same as sesame seeds, but it still has the name in it. And one of the ones that we ran across that I thought was interesting was a was the new or say the emergence of a dye sensitivities like red four red forty I think it's called that that are that are people having to to take out of things like applesauce. But the neat thing is there that that there's opportunities like adding beets and carrots back into that, which gives you the flavor. It doesn't give you the strawberry flavor, but it gives you the color because everyone knows how red strawberries are and they have no idea that strawberry juice is just as clear as you would ever want it to be. Are you finding, are you finding anybody paying attention to, to, to allergens and, and dyes or are we, or you think that the way people are building food right now, that it may just skip over that. It may not even be a thing. You know, I, I have to say, like, even though we sort of kicked off some of this stuff by investing in like 10 or 20 companies earlier, you know, in the decade, uh, what's really happened is there's just this been incredible interest in investors in every aspect of food. Uh, it's it's really fat, been amazing to watch. And I don't think that there's anything about food that there aren't startups trying to probe and see if they can improve. Uh, and what's really great is you know, the public doesn't have to foot this bill. The investors are. Uh, it's an amazing opportunity for a, like a total change in how we see things in food. But yes, I've met I've met companies that are making non-toxic dyes that they can just tweak a little bacterial thing and and they get used to get red. Now they get green, then they'll get yellow, then they get blue. You know, I mean, uh, and th th these are all sort of very non-toxic, very organic type of molecules that we probably have in our gut all the time in, in some form. Um, you know, and uh, I've met people who are trying to sort of engineer better fats. Uh, there are people who are trying to sort of make better carriers for emulsifiers that aren't that aren't suspicious. And I, 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 there's even a couple of companies that are out there that are trying to deal with food allergies, where you know they'll just put something in the food, it's totally safe, and then it sort of tunes down the immune reaction to various things. And we hope that you know you you don't have to go to a doctor and spend thousands of dollars. So when you have an immune reaction to something. So there's all the, that's the great thing about the entrepreneurial system. I know it seems a little strange and distant in California here, but actually the whole network is global, is, 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 is global now. I have, you know, I have companies I work with in Europe, in Asia, on the East Coast, uh, in the Midwest, everywhere. There, actually only a third of the deals I deal with are in the Bay Area or even California at all anymore. So um, you know, that's the beauty of the whole thing is that if you've got a really great idea, something you want to explore, some problem that you see, uh, if you have a solution, there's someone to listen to you. 
uh, it's just completely different than food was 20 years ago, you know, where there really wasn't money to sort of take on challenges. So even uh, when you walk down the uh, grocery store aisles today versus 10 years ago was very different versus 20 years ago was even more different. And when I was young growing up, the whole grocery store was small because you didn't have <laughs> aisles and aisles and aisles of options and choices. It was, you know, you want a green bean? Well, you have a green bean. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, <laughs> only one of those. Uh, yeah. And, you know, if something grew up too far away, you couldn't get it to you. It just wouldn't be fresh enough. Exactly. It's changed. The, trans, the supply chain has, 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 has got such an amazing reach. I actually, I was writing, a, I was writing a chapter. I started like writing the book. Like right now it's titled the wall of beer, you know, just appreciation. Everybody sees it now, but you go to the grocery store and like, we just go over there and grab a beer out of the, out of this, out of one of the cases. But sometimes we forget like, Hey, there's 12 cases of beer here. Uh, 12 refrigerators of beer here. And there's probably over a hundred different brands just at this regular grocery store. And who drinks all this beer? You know, it's amazing. There's somebody for everything out there. And uh, it's it's just the system has changed to something that is almost unimaginably, you know, like delivering for us. I just, it's hard to imagine eating better really for me. I mean, how many, I mean, I'll never, I'll never get through all the different uh, like mustards. <laughs> yeah, how I many? We actually uh, we follow a, uh, uh, and I regret that I forget. She, I think she's known as the mustard queen, and she is on a on a tear uh, that she says that. And I don't want to say it too too boldly because I don't, I don't know her that well. But she talked about says mustard. She says ketchup is a trash condiment. <laughs> and, so she, and I was like, dude, that is like harsh thinking about. I mean, because those of us that like ketchup, but but that is a a part of the where you yeah. recognize how many mustards how ron i mean think about how many freaking mustards there are there hundreds of mustards really yeah. there's just one ketchup which is really kind of crazy about it you know it's everything's got its own strength its own story and food and uh it used to be like like you say like 20 30 years ago there was really one one of everything and it didn't it had just that one story you know uh and people are working really hard to make all every product is being innovated a little bit you know uh, it's just it's it's even hard for even me to imagine where this is going to go. I think I don't really know if there can be more SKUs at the Safeway though or the Kroger. You know, what I mean, like fifty thousand SKUs in a typical grocery store. I mean, how many can we possibly consume? Uh, and so that's kind of it's sort of like this weird end of days kind of thing here now, where uh, like we kind of reached this apex of of grocery shopping, and it's hard to imagine how it's going to get more diverse or what's going to happen. There definitely are fads and, 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 and waves of popularity and new things coming, but it's hard to imagine getting a lot better. You know, I mean, I, you can, I can get almost anything I can possibly imagine any day of the week, 24 hours a day. Can I get some ketchup that has sriracha in it? Well, as a matter of fact, you can. As a matter of fact, <laughs> right. you can. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. What's a good game? <laughs> Walk in the grocery store and just make something up. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's like the. It's like the ultimate Play-Doh fun factory of the world. It's like, let's mix blue and orange. Let's see what happens. It's true. It's definitely true. Uh, and you know, in the, and and. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to, you know, I mean, people forget about our groceries and how that like really generates our culture. Half the food we eat comes from the grocery store. All the restaurant reviews are just about retail. There's a lot of art there, but there's a lot of art to appreciate in the grocery store too. I just, I love working with food people. Uh, you know, we're, everybody, there's a lot of people who need to make a profit and it's, it's still a business, but there's just this wonderful thing about you know, not it doesn't happen in 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 biological chemistry so much, but like there's this sort of like this hosting thing. There's this generous, you know, element of feeding people in the business. I just really adore. You know, it's it's really that's why the show's great here. Like you, you you know, everybody just wants to sit and they have a lot to talk about just because the topic's food. We often have that conversation, Ron, and I appreciate that you would bring that up because it shows us that you were definitely a member of our tribe. That we right. often we we talk so often about the comfort that we share, even across cultures, across languages, is eating together is one of the only things that actually you don't have to talk. You just say 
eat this, hold this. And it has, yeah. and I know that uh, Doug is, is such a, uh, and I'll even just talk about, I know he can hear me, but, but he has always been and shown himself to be a generous host. He has always cared for people. His life has been built on caring for people. And it actually has resulted in him being Doug, the food guy, because everyone knew if you're with Doug and Jackie Smith, you're going to get fed. You're going to get fed in spirit. You're going to get fed in your tummy and you get to swim in their awesome pool. So how much better does it get? Well, uh, you know, Tom, I I haven't (laughs) seen you some money. Those were some really kind words. Oh, no, you know, that's sincere, man. You know, that's my my heart, man. You you know, know, that's true. And and I would have, I've never been to your house, Ron. I guarantee you the kitchen is a part of your home. When you come in our, it doesn't matter which door you come in, you automatically go straight to the kitchen. It's probably the second largest room in our house, right beside Mm. our living room. But, you know, that's where everybody gathers because it doesn't matter how good the day was, how bad the day was, or who the friends are that are coming over. Our lives are built around breaking bread and having a, a, a glass of wine or, or whatever, just sitting down and communicating around the kitchen. Food has this magical power that people really, really don't always appreciate because it's all around us all the time. You know, your first relationship is feeding, you know, your parents, your mother particularly feeds you. And like, that's the basis of all your relationships after that. You know, there's something magical happens when you feed somebody that's why I actually, I, that's actually the basis for, for the, I mean, that's what I'm writing about a lot lately. I teach a class on food innovation at Santa Clara University here and all that, but it's really got me thinking about that relationship is what really made my career because we had a lot of different applications for, you know, that we were investing in, but food is that is one out of 10 categories of investments we invested in, but food is by far the most successful that the 20% of companies we invested in were food are like almost all of the profits from our investments. And one of the reasons is that like biochemistry and biotechnology is a little weird. I don't understand. It might work. I don't care. I don't know. But everybody's an expert at food. You know what I mean? And so investors started coming in and they don't know. They've never spent any time career-wise in food, but they really, everybody could connect with those companies. And that's one of the reasons there's so much innovation going on because it's a conversation that everybody's sharing. And uh, I think that's what, I'm hoping that's what's going to happen. That's what I want to ask you about. Like, you know, you you hear about these things. I mean, what do you guys hear about? So I, I actually saw one of your interviews with someone plant-based before, you know, uh, how are people where you live, like responding to plant-based and like, how, how, how are they generally feeling about it in the neighborhood and everything? Well, in my, my little world, most of the people that I interact with, whether it be the restaurant groups I'm working with, the friend bases I'm hanging around with, plant-based means different than probably what you're thinking. Plant-based mm-hmm. in our world means you go to the local farmer's market, you pick up some fresh potatoes, some fresh onions and some tomatoes that were just picked. That's when you say the word plant-based, that's what everybody's thinking of from that angle. Uh, and then when you start thinking about plant-based like what you and I are talking about today, which is the um, produced product that's coming from the proteins. To be quite honest with you, people are still a little scared of it. They're still a little hesitant mm-hmm. of it. Um, you know, some of the restaurant groups I work with, you know, their they're culinarians are like, I'm very aware. I know what's coming. Just not, not today. And so that's kind of what I'm seeing. And Tom, are you seeing kind of the same thing with your groups? What I see is a kind of a classic in the food business and and Doug and I've been around for, I think I've been in like 30 years in the food business. And I often see a solution that's looking for a problem. And I think that based on my experience, based on those with whom I speak about the topic, that it is a solution looking for a problem right now. And when you are cutting margins in the restaurant groups, when you're trying to find where your person is that's going to shuck your oysters today, having something on there that may be a a portion, even a small, small portion of the people that dine with you are going to eat and enjoy, it is quite a risk. I do yeah. know that that there are several groups that have that are that I feel like are on the forefront, at least in in my little coastal area, 
and I'm, Doug, do you mind if I say that it's five loaves? Should I say? Okay. So five loaves is a group here in Charleston, and they have always been known to have food that's not going to be meat-based. They have black bean, but they always have a lot of different soups and things that are that are like that. So the person that will eat, if if I'm talking to them, and they will know, I know that was a horrible way to say that, people mm -hmm. that want that, I know they're going to be going to five loaves here in town. And that has spilled over into a sister restaurant of theirs called Sesame, which is a straight up hamburger joint, but they also have items. And it's starting to get where you can go with someone that eats uh, that eats a, a more vegan or vegetarian or plant-based life, and you can still get your hamburger. That's the thing that I think is the actual problem, is me and another person going and me not having to eat some like Anyway, it's not really crazy, but I, I would rather have a hamburger for me and, but them still be happy and be pleased to be fed with that. Yeah. Yeah. And if well, I may, just to expand that just a little bit further, he mentioned the name of the restaurant was Sesame. So mm -hmm. they do hamburgers. So guess what? Their bun has sesame seeds on it. The number one concern that we're looking at now is sesame seeds are now an allergen. So <laughs> we got two problems with that. One, it's an allergen. And two, the manufacturers that are producing hamburger buns are taking it out of their production. So now if your name of your restaurant is Sesame, what are you <laughs> going to do? So what you were talking about earlier, where you could uh, modify or do something to remove the allergen so that it uh, doesn't create the problem, that may be one of those solutions that found an answer. That could be. That could be. That is a difficult, that's a difficult situation to be in with the, with the restaurant too. I think it's I think it's changing a lot regionally, uh, but you know I mean uh, looking at the big picture I think what we're hoping is what I'm hoping is you know uh, basically non non cow based dairy or you know alternate protein milk they're really popular now and they're pretty much everywhere. Uh, I think it took 25 years for that to really sort of be happening, and that that's generally the length of time it takes for to adopt a new idea. And uh, I don't, I don't think the like, I don't think the plant-based food has found its exact right niche right now. There's just some transitional kind of food that people will will want to have that's not sort of going to be animal-based, and that might sort of get people to start to start to just habituate themselves to getting used to it. I think it's a lot like you know, it's like Tom said, like it's really about you know we're driven by habit in terms of what we eat. You know, we we want that same rush that we get from biting into the, just the food that we expect to. And so there's this, there's a couple of things happening there. It, it doesn't happen in our heads, you know? And so I think that that's, that's something TBD, but I have to tell you like one thing that happened is I, I used, I've gone to Brazil. Uh, I went to Brazil once and you know, when you travel, you always want to go to the grocery store. And of course I went to some restaurants, you know, and uh, you know, Brazil's the number one beef producing country in the world. And so it's never going to be cheaper than being in Brazil. And labor is cheaper there and everything. So, but I, I right behind my hotel, there was this, the Yelp actually, I, I translated it. And the Yelp said like, I can't believe they have steak in this buffet. Buffets are really big in Brazil. Uh, nobody, everyone wants the whole table and they just pile the plates on. So I went there, no steak. And you go to the grocery stores and you can start to see that like the meat counter is shrinking. It's not as big as it used to be. So I think even in a country like that, what's really been surprising is that we do see people moving away from beef, not necessarily because they don't like it anymore, but the price is going up, you know, and the quality that you're getting less quality per dollar, you know, those are the critical, those are the critical numbers for me that are really going to talk about what's happening. And, uh, you know, people's perception about health also, if they, you know, if they've got you know, cardiac problems in their family and so forth that can create that, that that's that's what changed a lot of things about about milk and dairy as well so let's just sort of see as it sort of sinks in like how people feel about it and then you know it's you know a food that's popular is always coming from this little place in your brain it's like hmm, that sounds good right now that's really you got to get that happening and when then, then we'll start to see that become more of a factor in all the country in all places but it's really young people are going to change first don't you think like i think that absolutely you, it, you know, after after like 30 or 40 years, your habits are pretty set. But I think young people, they're worried about the ecological system and 
and and they have uh, they have they have no habits really. So let's just sort of see how that works. But I hope it's fast. Some of the companies will die long before that sets in. So you know it's a race. It's a race. They they're gonna have to try to figure something out. That's on them. Yeah, maybe they'll just be, they'll be the fertilizer for later companies. That's what we laugh <laughs> internally. We internally say that oh, that company that's going to be. And we, if you ever hear us talking about a fertilizer company, that's what we're talking about. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> that's going to be the fertilizer the for the planet floor? of the future. Yeah, they are the forest floor. They are after the burn and the forest floor and the victory ferns and the resurgent ferns come up. That's that's what's going to be firing it. So um, one one of the things I'd love to ask you selfishly is. How neat is it to be in tech and food? I mean, this is like a little more personal question. I get technical, but how it seems like it would be like amazingly neat to be tying tech into food. Is that fun or is it? What do you think, man? It's absolutely right. You know, I mean, one of the things is just like catching up to guys like you. Like, I think that really understanding and seeing both sides of where food comes from and what it is. I mean, some of it's some of it's you know some of it's a little bit estranging, but really what's happening is I see a lot of people working super hard to keep everybody fed, and it's really kind of it's really kind of exciting. Um, and then you know food is I, this is why I tell my business students like what's the national budget? What's the what's the global budget for advertising? Right, it's around five six hundred billion dollars a year, all around the world. That's Google, that's Facebook, that's radio, that's TV, that's newsprint, that's everything. What's the annual spend on food every year? It's like, I think it's like $14 trillion, right? It's the food system is massive. It's probably the largest, I mean, it's bigger than the highway system. And so it's bigger than airplanes, right? It's bigger than transport. It's probably, it may be the, it's the one thing everybody's got to buy every day or get every day. And so just being involved with trying to just picture all of that and how that works, it's just amazing. I just love sort of thinking about the globally as well. You know, it's not necessarily about us here in the States. It's about, you know, I think what's happening is we see uh, different regions of the world are also different outlets for this kind of thing. Everybody's got their own flavor, you know, and in Asia, People don't trust the food system like we do. Like that's saying a lot that they don't trust as much as we do because Americans don't trust anything. But I think, uh, you know, and, you know, they had this thing where you probably remember that like there was a, they've started putting plastic in the milk called melamine because the melamine actually registers as protein. So it makes the milk look richer than it is, but it's also toxic. (laughs) And so that's a short lived exercise. It was. Well, actually, some people were actually executed over it, I believe, but that's China. But, you know, I mean, I don't know, maybe if that happened here, I wouldn't say no to that either. I think that, you know, that it was put in, being put in baby formula, you know. And so to this day, that was like, I think that was 2008, 2006 or something. To this day, when people ask relatives to come home, they bring baby formula into to home to give to family. It's just a popular gift. So, you know, you've got different parts of the world where some parts of the world where food security is just not seen the same way we see it, right? And they they are happy to get rid of meat because of security issues, right? Or they would like to, they accept substitutes more readily. They also have this strong Buddhist culture there. Buddhists don't eat meat. Hindus don't eat beef. And so they're really interested in, they're really interested in this in a way culture that we are not. So it's hard to say right now, Europe's, um, plant-based meat market is the same size as all of North America, right? And so they are adopting it super fast. You know, it showed up there later and so forth. And they're adopting super fast. It seems like a good place to go. I I think that, so we may not be the primary market where this kind of meat takes. It might be sort of like, what may happen is in a few years, one of your clients might come and say, did you hear about this, this sausage from Germany? It doesn't have any meat in it. You know, and then suddenly things start taking off. So it just kind of depends, you know, like Hagen does. Like it, it's not, re- it's really just New Jersey ice cream, but right. people. <laughs> exactly. It's it's just ice cream, but it's got a fancy name and people look for it and it's got a great story. You know that and- name's entirely made up. Exactly. It, it's, it's just crazy. It's, not <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah. some guy from New Jersey with umlauts. <laughs> no, just. But it sounds it very rich. <laughs> just make it hard to pronounce. It right. tastes as good as it sounds too. So yeah. that, you know. That brand. is some. 
I want to present, Ron, I think it's a unique opportunity. Uh, I want to present a thought to you, if you don't mind. I heard an interview with a, uh, and I'm not a starstruck guy, so don't take this this way. I heard an interview with a guy, he was Andy, who was on a show called The Office. He's like kind of a, he's like, yeah, he's like in all these like Jurassic Park. He's like kind of an actor guy and he's funny. I like him. He's funny. But I just heard an interview that he was talking about how when he was and when he was acting as Andy, that he would eat like four or five hamburgers in a day and just got, and he said he would love the hour that he would eat. And the other eight hours before he ate again were horrible because he felt bad all the time. He said he has changed his diet so that now his hour of food is so incredibly boring that you, he said, I can hardly take it except for the eight hours between meals I feel awesome now. So my food's boring and nutritional, but I feel awesome for eight hours rather than having an awesome meal for an hour. I know you guys get the concept. And what that brings me to is as a concept is I I did a little study on on the company RX Bar and they have a, uh, you know, they own the ugly functional bar world. That is and it is ugly. The package is plain. It, it is. But I will tell you, if you were on a trek like I do, or you're on a long run, or you're after a long match, even though it is ugly, when you are truly hungry for those nutrients, it tastes delicious. Eating it normal day, not so much. So I wanted to present that to you. Have you heard any thoughts about the the comparison between a high nutritive happy hour and then eight hours of crappiness? What do you think about that concept? You know, people, I, I, the psychological process of like picking up a piece of food at a restaurant or is so complicated. And I think, I think I would like to see more people target, uh, target that into uh, smartly, right? I think, I think that's a great avenue to sort of selling sort of a food that really, really helps you um, and that has real benefits to provide. But uh, I think that, to be honest, the startups are just learning about really how to market food and who they're selling to. They're usually targeting too broad a market, like they're making hamburger. I really don't believe you, the market really needs another hamburger. It's so hard to get, it's hard, so hard to get pay, someone to pay attention. You know, highly, you know, a product of the RX bar that's really clearly individualized, it's really targeted to certain people that's going to find their people. And what's really funny is some people love food and some people really don't like food that much. <laughs> that's why that's why the, the the all day meal replacement thing like Huel, right, has really taken off. Some people really just want to have something convenient. They can chug that back. They're done. That's what they want. Other people want to just sit there and enjoy their meal. You, a good company has to be able to find its personality to really speak to the people who are going to buy it, especially if it's new, if it's never been there before. A vegan burger, a vegan meat. They really have to find, there's some interesting things though. There's like foie gras coming out. There's sashimi tuna that's coming out. Um, let's see how all that stuff goes. But I think one of the classic mistakes is people are trying to appeal, some of these companies are trying to appeal to too many people at once. That's just not, that's just not for beginners really, you know. I think uh, that's probably where my point of view is coming from because the groups that we work with are, you know, mainstream and the manufacturers that are coming to us are trying to give us a mainstream replacement as opposed to, like you just mentioned, that uh, unique item where that 30-year-old is getting ready to go to the gym or just finished with the gym. He wants his day's nutrients, nail it back, and he's done. Mm -hmm. It's a totally different um, clientele, and it's a totally you know, it's different a, It's environment. a 3% of the market that might feel like they need that ever. Right. But right. if you sell 3% of the market, you are incredibly rich. Exactly. <laughs> get that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. Like, so in contrast, there's this company, you guys heard of the not company. I don't think it's in the Southeast right now. Not familiar with that one. No, but they're, so they're actually from Chile and they came up there with this AI system. It's incredible. They can sort of say, we want, you know, we want a yogurt and they can sort of enter that in the computer and the computer will go through all these ingredients and they'll put together a recipe for a yogurt. And they did that. The yogurt tasted like a really good vage. It was thick, it was rich, and it tasted, had this great dairy taste. But the great things that these guys do, and they, they are in North America, they're coming in North America, but they, interestingly, they're all over Latin America. South America is very big on beef, and they're not having problems. 
they're selling really well, you know? So, but I think what's key to learn from them is none of their products taste exactly like the products everybody else makes in the category. Like they have this mayonnaise. Chili is one of the highest per capita consum- consumers of mayonnaise in the world. You may not have known. Who would have known that? I did that. not know that. <laughs> <laughs> but they, their first product was a mayonnaise. They jumped to third place behind, behind um, the big two, Hellman's and uh, Kraft. Uh, immediately and the thing is it tastes a little bit more vinegary and it just has this it's very memorable you know and I think people are in such a rush to make a food that they need to make they forget that they need to make their food and so the NACO they make food that tastes distinctive creates a relationship with the consumer and then they 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 get their market and it's a really high slice in the market um but they also t- tend to stay in, in, in areas where there isn't a lot of competition. You don't really want 25 mayonnaises on the, on the, on the shelf when you do that. That's why they're they're just sort of feeling their way through North America at this point, I think. Well, Ryan, that was one of the thoughts I actually was holding is a lot of the places you're saying that the uh, products are doing extremely well are probably in areas that have less selection. I know when I go to my local grocery store, you mentioned mayonnaise there's probably 15 mayonnaises down that aisle in five or six different package shapes. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's the high fat, the low fat, the one made with olive oil. And then you keep going down the list and there's so many options. It would just get lost on the shelf. And by the time someone found it, did they really want to buy it anyway? And, you know, when you got three to choose from now, all of a sudden it's a, a viable option. Yeah, I think that's true. Although, you know, here, I'm going to blow your mind a little, Doug, <laughs> is that there's I'm another ready. factor. There's another factor. And that is that when the when the public consciousness focuses on something in a completely different way, when they start thinking about it, they can entertain a very crowded market. And, the, and basically, that's what happened with beer that we t- started talking about beer earlier. You know, like, there's so many beers, but people are still drinking almost every brand that's on the shelf. If you go to a grocery store, just for the people listening, Doug and Tom know, but if you go in a grocery store and they have 120 beers, somebody is buying at least one case of those beers every week. Otherwise, the store won't carry it. So if you see 120 kinds of beer, there's a lot of people drinking a lot of kinds of beer. Almost nobody's drinking the same beer as anybody else. That's, you know, that is, that's, that's what I would consider a mature market. But it happens when there's a so-called social revolution when the consciousness of enough people sort of reaches tipping tipping point and they start caring about that, then you can actually have a very broad market with lots of entries in it. And and people are exploring it and they'll find their favorite part. Now, can they do that for every category in the the store shelves? That is something we are testing now as a community, as a world, as a society. But, you know, with meat and meat substitutes and like that, I think that we need something like that where people are, you know, we also need to get to that level of consciousness where people's like, yeah, oh, I need to, I need to sort of cut back on the beef this week. Let's, let's, let's do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, and that's kind of where we are with uh, non, non-dairy based milk, right? At this point, like there's silk, there's, there's almond milk, there's oat milk now, and people sort of like are buying what they want, right? So uh, I think, uh, I, you know, it's not a hundred SKUs, but there's probably 30 SKUs of milk in, in, uh, not including sizes in, in my grocery store. Right? Well, you'll appreciate this. There's true half and half creamer in my mm. refrigerator, and then there's coconut milk. Interesting. And you finding that good? How does that how's that working for you? Actually, I like it. Uh, it's not something I do on a regular, everyday basis. But but I I tried the silk. What is almond milk? Mm. Just it just couldn't do it. The color wasn't right. The texture wasn't right. Just mentally couldn't ever get over it tried i think it was a couple other different ones because our, our daughter and daughter-in-law some of the, you know they were bringing in all these other options and finally someone suggested the coconut milk hmm. and i actually like it it's i'm gonna try very good yeah, so there's I'm no cow milk in my refrigerator other than the, the <laughs> one thing i half and half for my wife's coffee i buy i i buy like a i, I think i buy a a pint of milk every two weeks or three weeks, and then I have plant-based. Otherwise, it doesn't. It doesn't quite. It. I haven't found anything to really work with waffles. <laughs> so this is a highly. But you know, you have to. That's a great example, right? Because uh, you know, like you have to experiment for what actually works for you, and you have to care about enough something enough to do that. And I think that 
yeah, that consciousness level is really important. That's when you have like the so-called tipping point effect, right? And uh, yeah, milk's a great place where that's happened. Well, I hate to be that guy because it seems like I'm always that guy. No, man, you're I'm going to raise my hand and say, I'm going to have to go catch that flight time we've been talking about. You know, it's it's getting that time of day, but boy, has this time flown by. I mean, yeah, we're we're at an hour, an hour and nine minutes, Ron. It has flown by. Uh, and I want to tell you that that when when Doug and I do that, that's that's kind of a play on the whole motif of the airport that when you're in a conversation, you're like, oh, hey, man, I got to catch a flight, even though we know that we want to be respectful of our time together. And uh, Ron would would um, two things I want to ask in parting. Uh, number one, would you mind if we kept up with you? Just checked in every now and then and see what's address. going on. You know me. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh... If I, you know, I'd love to show you, send you a pre copy of my book or something. Wow. Yeah, like please. Absolutely. We'd love to do that. I love your, hear your uh, ideas about that. I actually want to ask one thing, South Carolina, you, yeah. have you guys heard of the Microworks plant that's coming there? It's another one of my companies that are making leather out of mushrooms, like fungi, and they decided to put a plant in South Carolina down there and it's going to be huge. And they're making all this, leather's non-biodegradable. Mm -hmm. theirs, theirs is much more natural, much more sustainable and so forth. But it, it, Doug, have you heard of that? Micro? Uh, well, micro. I have, do you have, do you, when did they make the announcement? Because there was just an announcement this week of a plant coming within an hour of my home. That's a 200,000 square foot plant. I never caught the name or what they were doing. I'm, I'm just wondering if that could be it. I'll send you the, uh, I'll send you the article on, uh, I think, uh, I don't know. I have a way of I, I think we're, a, I have your email on the calendar. So I think I'll send yeah, you guys. Absolutely. Certainly. I'd love yeah, to do we'll, But with that being said, we do have a battery manufacturing coming uh, that's going to be supporting BMW worldwide. We have oh, yeah. Volkswagen building a facility here. Oh, Actually building two facilities, building a production facility and a battery facility that's going to do worldwide production. Of course, we have Mercedes, we've got Boeing. So there's a hmm. lot of stuff going on in the area. And, you know, it's, it's pretty exciting to be here this time of day. That's great. That's it is great. a good. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye on Ron. I hope that food tech actually has the same kind of effect on on the Carolinas and the whole region. There, I mean, that's when things really start to when it's, everybody knows it's for everybody. You know. Yeah, Carolinas is the place to be right now. So, Ron, as we part here, I wanted to say: Is there a uh, someone's listening and they want to keep up with what uh, Ron is doing? Can they? Can you find you on anything on social? I know you, I read a lot of the things you post on LinkedIn and I admire the way that you do that. How can people keep up with you? Love to, love to, love to make sure that the, uh, yeah, my LinkedIn poster, they can just check my name out on LinkedIn. Happy to get some more follows and connect with people if they want to chat. That is good. Well, Ron, it has been a pleasure as we always part together because I know you got a flight. We got to catch our flight. And we uh, usually part by saying uh, cheers from Charleston. Cheers from Florence. All right. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Ron. Oh, that was you know, that went fly by, man. Fly by. I have to confess. I have to do a confession. So, you know, I want to clear my heart out here. So we normally do two podcasts every Friday. So we we did a podcast this morning with you know, someone that we've known for years in the industry. So it was kind of like sitting down with a good buddy over a beer at the, at the airport. It truly filled that vibe, just like we, you know, build our show. And after the show was over and, you know, he was gone, it was just Tom and I, I said, Tom, tell me about this guy, Ron. I'm a little intimidated. I'm a little concerned. Yeah. You got the credential. You got the creds, man. Yeah, I looked at it. You got the creds. But I, I tell you what. All, all joking aside, this has been very enjoyable. I, I'm very interested in what you guys are doing there. And I, I can't wait to hear more and see kind of where this takes us. If we can ever be a, a resource for you or, or connections on the East Coast, um, we don't know everybody, but we know somebody that does. Lovely. I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to, you know, maybe even start talking about my book this summer. So, yeah. I mean, I'd love to get your feels on it. And I hope to Please. come by soon. Carolina again sometime. I'd love to see it. I might just drop by the old plant there. So absolutely, we'd love. And by the way, I, I googled it. It's in Union, which is in the upstate of South Carolina. It's not too far from Tom or I. But you know, if you make it down this way, we'd love to. I know some good restaurants up in that area. We, we should definitely <laughs> find a place to break <laughs> some bread. <laughs> okay. We do. 
Ron, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Uh, we, as soon as I finish editing this, I will uh, send you the link to it uh, for the announcement. We appreciate you uh, coming on. I know that uh, I do appreciate your openness from our conversation, especially when you commented about the the amazing uh, uh, niche or niche, I never know how to say that, that you're in. But we appreciate you and, and I know that you brought a tremendous value to our listeners. So we will. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you when we talk to you. That sounds great. I look forward to the next time and I'll be glad to share it, share the post with my network. So thank, thank you, Ron. We really appreciate it. Have you. an awesome day, buddy. See ya. All right. Bye. Yeah, see you. Awesome. Well, Doug, it's been a, a good day for us. I think we got two very, very high quality communications in with Chris and, and now with Ron. So um, good stuff. Good stuff. Now. All right, man. Well, have an awesome weekend. It is almost time for uh, Miller time or uh, red, red wine time for you. And uh, tell Miss Jackie, I said, hey, hey, and uh, we'll talk to you. I'm sure we'll talk next week. All right, Tom. Enjoy your evening, man. See you, Doug. Bye.